Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 114. Today we are talking about some bowl game opt-outs on the college football world with Zach Smith and a little bit of look forward to next year. And on our deep dive, we're doing a year in review. 2021, the sequel to 2020. Let's uh let's dive in a little bit. Buckle in your seat belts, put your tray tables up. The Pilot Boys are about to take off. Let's go. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. And we're back with the last college football sprint episode of 2021 crazy year overall happy that we got football back at least for the most part much better than last year but we're dealing with covid chaos again as as the season comes to a close impacting bowl games um as well as uh the most recent uh rash or wave of players opting out of bowl games that may not fit on the same totem pole as the college football playoff we got a lot to talk about um of course we got zach Smith back in the building. <laughs> Appreciate fresh, you having me. Fresh off of uh, leaving Santa some cookies and a fresh batch of paint uh, to come home to. <laughs> the way you said it, it sounds like Zach poured white paint into a cup. I should have. I should have. Anytime you're doing home home remodeling the week of Christmas, like you should be shot. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into it. First, first, let's talk about we'll get some of these Ohio State topics. It was kind of disheartening for me to read an article in the Columbus Dispatch over the weekend that Ohio State fans are not uh, buying tickets to the Rose Bowl um, and that we are being crushed by Utah who is acting for asking for extra tickets. And we actually had to sell back our tickets. In addition to that, that combined with the fact that these same fans who are not willing to fly out and spend a dollar to go to a Rose Bowl are also crying about the players uh, opting out for the betterment of their futures of this game. So I just found that to be an interesting dichotomy (laughs) Um, and just want to get into it and get your guys thoughts on, 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 on these topics. Well, I think the, the reality is I think it's less about um, the, the, the meaning of the Rose Bowl than it is the, the cost associated with going to the Rose Bowl. And then the reality that at any time this could just get canceled because of COVID and, and or the governor could put in, in already has put in insane restrictions on masking and all the things that need to happen. And, and people are looking at it and saying, all right, I'm going to spend 10 grand to take me and my, you know, maybe family of four all the way out to Pasadena to go to the Rose Bowl. And the flight might get canceled. We might not even get there, right? Or if we do get there, the game might get canceled the day of, like we've seen already happen. And on top of that, California is the strictest state in the country. And people just don't want to deal with that and pay to deal with it, right? It's one thing if you're Utah, it's not a far trip. If you're from Columbus, that's a long trip, Partha. You know better than anyone. I mean, that's a long, expensive trip to potentially get completely screwed by by COVID, uh, you know, cancellations and everything else that's going on. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, it also is partly that, you know, Ohio State didn't make the playoff and that's the standard now. But we've seen in the past however many years when Ohio State goes to the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, I mean, Ohio State still shows up. The Fiesta yeah. Bowl, it's still packed. I think this is more of a, a COVID issue than it is a, you know, disappointed issue. That's a Yeah, good- and there's always a strong local market of Ohio State fans mm-hmm. in every city that picks up tickets at the end. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> You know, that that's part of it. But, you know, and also, like you said, we're spo- our fan base is kind of spoiled. You look at the contrast between how Utah's fans are approaching the Rose Bowl because they this is their first year in the Pac-12. They were in the Mountain West, I think, or some other also played conference that didn't they didn't always get the opportunities to go. And they won the Pac-12. And so their fans and their um, alumni are actually really excited about this Rose Bowl as their first kind of big big stage as a Pac-12 team, right? So I think you have that playing in playing in as well. But what 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 bothers me sometimes about fans is not 
I can, Zach, I agree with you. It's a lot of risk, right? I'm not knocking any fan for not wanting to spend the exorbitant amount of money to go to a bowl game. But what bothers me is when they can make that decision, but then get mad at a 21, 22 year old kid who has his entire life on the line. Yeah. Deciding to opt out of a bowl game. Well, it's just it's just the way society's changed, right? It's the way the game has changed, and it's it's only going to get worse and worse with the NIL. And if you want to call it worse, it's all perspective. But with yeah. NIL and transfer portal, and just the way society is is shaping up, it's just new society. It's not the game. I mean, I, I hear the argument all the time, like, "Well, these bowl games don't matter anymore." Like, what do we? They never mattered. Like back when the BCS came around. The Rose Bowl, if it wasn't the BCS National Championship, mattered just the same as the Rose Bowl does today. Like it, it never mattered once they went to a national championship game, which certainly was the right move. And if they're not going to go to a full-fledged, like 32-team playoff, it's what it's always going to be. I just think it's, you know, socially, these kids are making more business decisions than than they did in the past. And it was honestly, it just took a couple players to do it when then all of a sudden players are like, oh shit, we can do that. I never thought yeah. of, like it was never a thought. And then yeah. once a couple players did, then then everyone's looking at it like, well, look what happened to Jalen Smith in the Fiesta Bowl for Notre Dame against Ohio State. Blew his knee out, nerve damage, probably lost $15 million by playing in that insignificant bowl game. That was stupid. Like it wasn't yeah. smart. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I called it a month ago that I thought the only I called the four that were going to opt out. I just thought Cameron Brown would also opt out. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, he, and he probably is right for making that decision. Cause he needs more tape. Utah's not great at receiver. It's a great opportunity to increase his draft stock, but those, those four kids, they're done. Yeah. And Cameron Brown actually is coming back, right? Didn't he say he's coming back? Yeah. Which is another reason why he's, you wouldn't opt out, but I yeah. thought, so I, it wasn't surprising to me at all. And, and if they, they didn't ask me, but if they would have asked me, I would have told them, I would have said, you should opt out. You should not play in this game. You, you gain nothing and mm -hmm. only can lose everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one last one part that I'm going to let you jump in here. One other thing about this um, is also particularly the heat that guys like Haskell Garrett and Chris Olave are getting, because these are guys that could have left to the NFL last year. Mm -hmm. Instead, they decided to come back to Ohio state and chase a national championship. They did not get there, and now they're doing what's best for them in one game mm -hmm. and how quickly some of this fan base is turning on them and saying, oh, they don't respect the school. It's like you got to have more context and better perspective than that. These are guys that have sacrificed um, for the university and have always been A-plus character guys on and off the field. They deserve better. You know, and like you said, Zach, that can't be controlled, but – Partha, what are your thoughts from like a in terms of making this business decision? How would you how would you approach it as somebody who's loyal to the Ohio State name and university and everything? If this scenario was presented to you, well, I think it's a no brainer. I think the loyalty was the extra year these guys played, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, I I think them trying again was more than you could have even asked for. I was surprised Olave came back. To be honest, that was a huge yeah. surprise to me. Yeah. And I think it was cool to see him set set some records this year, you know, establish himself as one of the best receivers ever, you know, wear scarlet and gray. Um, that's cool. You know, I think that drives a lot personally as well. But ultimately, I think the decision to go pro is a very personal one. And it's and the decisions along the way are extremely intentional in the narrative you have to craft to be able to get drafted well, to be able to get your brand endorsements, to get to the right agent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many layers to it. So to me, it's, you know, as someone missing the bowl game as a fan. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer because I'm I'm actually going to the game and I wanted to see Olave and Wilson because I actually have not had a chance to ever see them play in person. So that's definitely a bummer. However, I will be able to see, you know, young Stroud with some some new young receivers. We have a ton of talent on the field. It's it's a little preview into next year to see how they're playing, how they're coaching and I'm not sure you guys will have to clarify this for me. Is the new uh, defensive coordinator from Oklahoma State already moved over, or is he finishing out the season at Oklahoma State? So he, uh, Mike Gundy asked him to not coach the defense for Oklahoma State in their bowl game. And obviously Ohio State 
wasn't going to bring him in to change sure. the defense just for this game. So he's kind of job, not jobless. He has a job. He just doesn't get to do it yet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's interesting for sure. I mean, our defense this year has been a sieve. So I, I think we'll probably see more of that at the bowl game. It's, it's going to be, I've always felt bowl games are less intense than the rest of the season for obvious reasons, injury risk, you know, players have already played a full season. They've lost the opportunity to go for what they're going for. And it's it's so non-sequential with the season. I remember when Troy Smith won the Heisman, he was 15 pounds heavier by the time it was bowl game. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just just what it is. I've never seen it been taken seriously. So now as as a fan, I cannot take it seriously. Yeah. Exactly. Going, going back to the business decision that Chris Olave made. I mean, it's it's one thing to say he came back to win a national championship, which, I, you know, I know the kid. He's a great kid. That certainly played a part. But he also didn't want to be in the pool of Jalen Waddle, Devontae yeah. Smith, Jamar Chase. Like the receiver class last year was loaded. This year, yeah. it's literally Chris Olave. Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams. That's the class. So he's and the kid from Pitt, right? He's yeah. And Jordan Addison, which is the the uh, maybe the fourth, uh, you know. And there's probably other ones. I I, I haven't done any my draft prep yet, yeah. but he went from being probably the fifth best receiver, maybe a late first, probably a late first round pick, to now he's going to be a middle first round pick, probably the second first third receiver taken at worst and he's going to make about eight million dollars more by coming back. So as much as it was a decision to come back and try to win a national championship. Like it was a business decision also. Like he he got out of that draft class with those loaded receivers and became the cream of the crop of this draft class. Great point. And that's what we want. I think. Absolutely. That's that's what you do. You you evaluate it. Yeah. We want these guys to make the best decision for themselves. And we want the college program to be the best program. It can be as the intermediary between high school and getting a guy to pro. Yeah. And and Zach, you know, that's, you know, I know you've been in these, these conversations with players and, and coaches before it's it puts a coach in a in a in an awkward position right because the incentive structure for you is obviously for these guys to play right or come back Mm -hmm. but you've seen over time that the programs who kind of took that position they get exposed right and at the end of the day that has instead of focusing on the short-sighted decision of what's best for me today the programs that think about the long term, you know, and Ohio State has been much more receptive um, to players opting out, starting with with Bradley Roby. Right. We got mm-hmm. crushed. He, he just did not want to have to play uh, <laughs> play against Sammy Watkins and have his draft stock go yeah. down. But the way the coaching staff and everyone handled it was, OK, he's going to do what is best for him. And I think what gets lost sometimes is the greater impact of those conversations that a coach has with a player, right? Like you look at like Bradley Roby and Denzel Ward, both opted out of the bowl game and they were, they were two of the first, they were on the front end of this thing when players weren't really opting out like they are now. And I always thought, and urban was awful at it. Mickey Marotti awful. They lied to kids. They would, they would try to say anything they could to get a kid to come back instead of go to the NFL or play in the bowl game instead of sit out. Um, and, And in my stance was always, and I still believe this entirely, was to just have an honest conversation. And if you, if I thought that a kid should leave, like when Michael Thomas left, I told him, I think, I, I think you've done all you can do. I think it's time to go, you know, capitalize on, on all the work you put in. Meanwhile, Mickey and urban are telling him he's not, he's not good enough yet. He needs to come back for another year. Like, obviously I was right. They were full of shit, but I think what you lose sight of is the fact if you have that honest conversation with Mike, which I did, yeah. and then the other players hear about it, right? Cause Mike tells him like urban light was a, such a liar and a phony and trying to get me to come back. But coach Smith was re- kept it real with me. Then you fast forward Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin and Johnny Dixon are, are thinking about leaving or coming back because the offense was so bad. And I had honest conversations with those three kids and all three came back. But why? Why did they come back? Because I was honest with Mike and told him to leave. Right. So you gain far more trust and, and, and the culture in your room. You become a trustworthy adversary to these kids so you can have real conversations and get a kid to come back when he should. Whereas, you know. Urban, if he told a kid to come back, they're like, well, yeah, you told Joey Bosa he should come back. You know what I mean? You told Zeke he should come back. So why would I listen to you? So you lose credibility in those conversations. I always thought it was a bigger picture than just your livelihoods on the line. Try to get the kid to come back. When uh, when you tell a kid to come back, Zach, what are the what are the main reasons that especially like for for a receiver, what would be the main reason for them to come back? 
Well, it's all, it, it's all comes down to numbers and business decision, right? Like Chris Olave, I would have told him, listen, you're ready for the NFL. You're going to be a late first round pick, but if you invest 10 months, you're going to make probably $8 more million. So is 10 months worth $8 million? The answer is yes, right? And so he came back and now he's probably going to make five to eight more million dollars than he would have made last year just in his rookie deal. Um, so that's huge. Uh, that's a that's a big part of it. Most of it is business decision. Uh, very very similar conversations I had with Noah Brown and Curtis Samuel. I mean, Urban decided not to fire Ed Warner. JT Barrett announced he was coming back as the quarterback, and Curtis and Noah were looking at me like, "What's going to get better next year? Like, am, I'm, is the offense going to feature me more? Absolutely not. The offensive coordinator is an idiot. They're like, Are, "Is JT going to be a great passer? No, he's never going to be that." So they made the decision to leave. Curtis, I think, was a second or third round pick. Noah went undrafted or, you know, he might have been seventh round. Either way, on paper, probably not a great decision for Noah to leave. But at the same time, was he going to have the same draft stock a year later and risk potential further injury? And the answer was probably about the same draft stock because of the situation he was returning to. So it just comes down to a business decision. And a lot of it is guessing and projecting. Like, could the offensive improve? Sure. But what are you basing that on? Not history. That's just hopes and dreams. Is there in, in today's ecosystem in that type of situation, would uh, a transfer start to make sense now? Oh, yeah. A one-time transfer definitely would. If you, either a transfer in, right? A quarterback coming in. Or that's that's one of those things that you see, right? Bo Nix, three-year starter at Auburn, like legacy dad dad played there uncle played there like no reason that kid would ever leave Auburn except he said you know what I need somewhere else that's better for me that's maybe has more talent that I can be successful to improve my draft stock so he leaves Auburn as a three-year starter and goes to Oregon like that that would never have happened three years ago but now it's like nah let me make a business decision no different than uh, the, the Slovis kid, the quarterback at USC, Lincoln Riley's coming in there's no reason why that kid leaves except he says you know what I saw Kenny Pickett at Pitt just I mean, shoot up the draft board. I want to do that. So he transfers from USC to Pitt, yeah, right? Wow. It, it, it's all business decisions at this point. This is full on. I mean, it's all, it was always a business, but there was some, I guess, amateurism. There was a little bit of uh, <laughs> kids, right? They were still kids three years ago. Now they're not kids. It's, it's yeah, grown up thinking business decisions. So what, what this is all exposing, the player opt-outs, the game cancellations, is that we have a broken system, Right. Whatever the system was that worked for so many years, there are cracks in that system and changes need to be made. These bowl games, they're losing their value, right? Because eventually, if you, again, thinking beyond what's right in front of your face, the sponsors of the Gator Bowl were expecting Texas A&M to be in that game. Now Rutgers is in the game. Yep. That's a huge loss financially for them, the Texas A&M fan base versus the Rutgers fan base. There is going to be a domino effect here in terms of the financial opportunities that also exist for these programs if they don't get their shit together and figure out a system which takes into account the new standards of business that college football has become and adjust. And as far as I'm concerned with NIL, with the bowl game opt-outs, with the, the college football playoff, they've royally screwed it all up but yet they're all still collecting salaries yeah. and there's no accountability to say, damn, we're in a shit show. How do we figure this thing out? Because a good organization will take whatever the variables are and adjust accordingly. That's what the NFL does, you know, for whatever you want to say about the knocks on the NFL, which there are money, many, they definitely are well-organized uh, machine that knows uh, how to operate and continue to be the number one sport in the country. And that's why they are. There's no yeah. doubt. I also wanted to toss in that it may be sometimes as, and, and in this situation, I, I do feel this way. It may not be that the system is broken. It may just mean that, that the people in the system haven't adopted to the new set of rules yet. Right. So like what we're talking about is a change in how people even approach collegiate football in terms of what a bowl game means, what a playoff game means, even with the transfer, like that situation we were just talking about, teams and, and loyalty to a team is less valuable than putting yourself in a position to raise your value as an individual. So essentially what we've done is we've made college football more of a free market. And to me, that's a good thing because it, it 
makes it more fair for the players who are playing in the system and not getting compensated, not having a lot of freedom or rights to be able to have the best shot to become a professional football player if they weren't in the right program, if they didn't have the right coach backing them, if they didn't have the right personality for it. Now there's a lot of ways to really make it happen if you're so motivated. And I think that's a good thing. But I think the expectations of, of fandom have to change in terms of how we think about our teams because in the past it was like oh this is my guy like i love this player but you know now as an ohio state fan for me it's it's far less about the individual players it's far more about the style of play it's about the great you know the great offensive minds that we have there putting together something that visually is an entertaining experience for me to tune into and i think you know, at the end of the day, sports is entertainment as much as, you know, athletes hate when I say that. But that's that's a fact. If you're not interested, oh, yeah. absolutely, you know, you're not going to make it. And so this makes the product better for me because you have better players across the board at all teams. And you know what else these bowl games have become? I mean, the, the cancellations are, are, in my opinion, just the NCAA being out of touch with with COVID and what it is nowadays. You know, with all these teams are fully vaccinated. Like, I don't know why we're testing asymptomatic people. I don't know why we're canceling games. It's just absurd. But, that you know, that's that's in and of its own right. That's a pandemic issue. That's not really an NCAA issue, right? All the leagues are having issues, except for the NFL that just changed all the rules and said, screw it, you can play. Um, but I think what these bowl games have become, and, and like you said, Partha, People just need to adjust to what they are, right? They're no longer the culmination end of a season. They're really the preview for the next season. If yeah. it's if it's not a playoff bowl, right? Like these kids that are going to play and you know have high draft stock, they're going to sit out. They're not going to play. That's fine. Let them make their decision. The seniors that maybe need a little more tape or just want to play one more time for the Buckeyes, they're going to play. It's going to be a nice send off for them. And then you're going to get a chance now to see a Mecca Egg Buka. You're going to get to see Marvin Harrison Jr., yeah. Julian Fleming. You're going to see these kids get an unbelievable opportunity on a national stage to kind of kick off the, the biggest offseason of their career leading into them being vital members of the team, right? Yeah. So this is almost like a, a glorified vacation spring game is what it's going to become. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a lot of value in that, right? I mean, Ohio State has 90,000 people go to the spring game. It's not like they're not going to be excited to watch the young kids. It's just different than what yeah. it used to be. And, and and to your point, Zach, like you said, it's a changing dynamic. So yeah, that's what embrace it, is. it. Like, And if you right. are lucky enough to be a fan of one of these top programs, you've got all these five-star, four-star prospects that you've been hearing about during the recruiting, and they're getting an opportunity to play and shine, you know? Yeah, and it's um, like, as a fan, it's like, why do you want to see Chris Olave just because you want to see Chris Olave score a touchdown? Like you've seen him for three years, four years. Like at this point, wouldn't you be more excited to let Chris go thrive in the NFL and see somebody else that you're going to get to watch all next year? Like it's just a mindset that needs to shift for fans that are stuck in old school ways, right? Like it's not disrespectful. Like me, me right now as a college football analyst and, and a, somebody that is, you know, partial to the Buckeyes, I would rather see Emeka Egbuka play a full game right now than watch Garrett Wilson again. I've seen him a million times. He's outstanding. Go have a great time in the NFL. Represent Ohio State well. Now, let me see the young guys that we're going to watch next year. Yeah, and on top of that, uh, being a young guy, we've all been the young guy on a team before. You're hungry. You yeah. want every minute of playtime you can get. And no doubt. at the end of a season <gasps> is the best time. You know, I, I remember every sport I've ever played, there was always a time at the end of the season where we held a scrimmage or a practice and all the rookies filled in for all of the vets. And we played no vets and just let it let it go. But everyone was familiar with the system. Everybody knew how all the plays run. Everybody had a level of sophistication that only comes at the end of a season, which is different than your spring game. Yeah. And it it is really, truly a beautiful thing. And, you know, to your point, I think as as a young, like, you know, in the mind of a young athlete like a Marvin Harrison Jr. stepping into this game, I mean, I, I can't even imagine this must be just the most exciting thing because oh. you could step on that stage now with a CJ Stroud who who knows what he's really, like, about. He's He's gone through a couple tough losses. I don't know where this kid's head is at right now, but it's probably in a really good spot. I mean, that's a fun, fun game to be a part of. 
And you know what? I talked about it on my morning show this morning because I've, I've lived both, right? I've lived the 2015 Fiesta Bowl where you had Michael yeah. Thomas, Braxton Miller, Jalen Marshall. <clears throat> it was a hard room to coach in that situation because the game didn't matter. Those yeah. kids have been coached for four years. They were so developed and such vets that we would meet for an hour and a half. And after like 40 minutes, I'm like, this is a waste. Of like, what else am I meeting about? Like the kids would get bored. It's not like the national championship where they're just like so tuned in and locked in. And so that that's what Brian Hartline would have had with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson in that room. Like guys that are somewhat checked out. Now they're going to pay attention. They're going to take coaching. But at some point, right. And, and instead of that, he has a room of guys that are like, I mean, laser focused, like, like nervous, like anxiety, like locked in trying to make sure their shit is right because they got to go play. It's just as a coach, he has a much better, you know, four week period to develop those guys Mm -hmm. because those older guys are gone. Yeah. And, and the lines experience, you know, on both sides, a lot of the core players that are fundamental to being able to run the strategy you want to run are experienced vets that are in this game. It's not like, you know, it's not like the whole O line is going to, Yeah, it's only four guys. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's a uh, it's there's there's value to those guys still being also embraced by the team um, and allowed to be on the sidelines, like and and be a part of the festivities with their teammates that and coaches that they've they fought for. They're sitting out one game of their entire career, so it's a much better much better situation um, to embrace it than to to fight against it. Um, yeah. Because then you're going to alienate, alienate people. And in the long term, when you alienate people, that is not good for your program's culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I think also fans who want their teams to be good and sustain success. Maybe, you know, I know we got crazy fans, but some of you who have some rationale in your brains, think about before you make that tweet. killing one of these kids that that could have an impact on the future of your program and the next kid who is really really good and is good enough to play in the nfl and has to make this decision yeah no doubt absolutely man well uh this was you know this is an amazing amazing year of college football i'm super grateful we got to watch ohio state have such a great season. It was a tough ending, and I think it's really just a prequel for next year. I'm excited to see the continued narrative of C.J. Stroud's growth, especially with a new young receiver core that he's going to have to lead now as opposed to being led by. So a lot of the factors for an interesting narrative are building for next year. The bowl game is, uh, is it Saturday or Sunday? It's Saturday. Saturday. So that's going to be a fun one. Yeah. So before we get out of here, we've talked a lot about our our non-playoff contending team. <laughs> Let's talk about the actual playoff contenders, the matchup. What are you guys' thoughts on um, on the game, uh, the games, the playoff games, and who do you guys see one getting getting through this getting through this uh, this first round? Score Cincy, predictions. Cincy all the way. 60-0, 60-0. Well, that's part is really realistic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they're really intriguing matchups to me. I mean, Georgia and Michigan match up so well. It's strength on strength, weakness on weakness. Like there's usually I look for a category or or an aspect of the game where you say, all right, Michigan has a strength here against a weakness of Georgia or vice versa. And you look at that like, oh, damn, that's going to be the difference. I don't see it anywhere. Michigan runs the ball as well or better than anyone in the country. Georgia's front seven are ridiculous at stopping the run. Michigan's average at throwing the ball. Georgia's average at stopping people from throwing the ball. I mean, and then you flip to the other side of the ball. I mean, Georgia runs the ball really well. Michigan's front seven is really dominant in the run game. Pass game, I mean – Georgia can't throw it at all. Michigan wasn't good at covering anyone worth a shit at Ohio State or anyone else. So it matches up so well. I really, I do think, I think Georgia's overrated. I think Michigan wins the game. And then I think the 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 counterpart, the the Cincinnati-Alabama game, it's going to be really interesting because Cincinnati has two of the best corners in the country. And Alabama's whole offense is Jamison Williams. John Mechie's out of the game with a blown knee. And it's going to be Bryce Young and Jamison Williams. And they have Sauce Gardner, who hasn't allowed a touchdown all year. And then they got Christian Bryant's little brother, Kobe Bryant, who just won the, the Thorpe Award as their two corners, like just outstanding corners. So they're going to be tested. And, and I, I talked to Kobe Bryant two weeks ago uh, as he was kind of in Columbus. I, I met with him just to hear about the game. And 
they they're they're dialed in. I mean, yeah. you know, not that not that none of any of these teams aren't, but they know the challenge in front of them. He knows Jamison Williams. It's all about him on Jamison Williams or Sauce Gardner on Jamison Williams. If they can do that, if they can stop Jamison from killing them, they're not going to stop him from getting some touches mm-hmm. and some stats. He might even score once. They just can't let him kill him like Georgia did. And if they can do that, Cincinnati's going to be in this game. I think Alabama wins in the end, but I think it's going to be a better game than people think. And and they shouldn't be counted out. So I think it's a Michigan Alabama national championship game. Yeah, I love I love that. I just want to voice. I think it would be an amazing thing to see Cincinnati play Alabama for real and put up a good fight. I think <laughs> absolutely that's the kind of that's the kind of credibility that I hope they walk away from the season with because they put up a good season. Um, on the flip, I I cannot stand either Georgia or Michigan. I think they're both trash teams. Uh, Michigan is way worse when they don't play Ohio State, but Georgia is just the master of choking. So I expect Michigan to win that game as well and uh, probably meet Alabama in the finals. Yeah, I am not going to rock the boat too much here and against you guys. But one thing I will say, and Zach, I know you agree with this, is that Cincinnati matches up as much as you can match up with with Alabama from a defensive side. They've got veteran corners, both NFL caliber NFL corners, um, and they've got a coach who knows how to to call the game. It's going to come back to to Ritter and the quarterback and the offense. Are they going to be able to keep up with Alabama's offense? Because I do think the defense is going to give Alabama a good test. And I will not be surprised if Cincinnati pulls this out, but if I if I have to make a pick, it's going to be Alabama just because I'm not going to go with emotions. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard not to pick Nick Saban when when it yeah. counts, right? I mean, yeah. the SEC championship game, everything on paper is like, oh, Georgia's good. Georgia should win this game. I mean, Vegas thought Georgia was going to win the game, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but it's Nick Saban. I mean, what are we talking about? Yeah, it's hard exactly. to go against him. That's ultimately what it is. Is we're seeing one of the greatest coaches of all time just continue to add to his legacy and. Yeah. And, you know, is he, and he's lost against Trevor Lawrence and a loaded Clemson team, right? LSU and Joe Burrow. Like he doesn't lose to Cincinnati. He doesn't lose to, you know, I mean, shit, he didn't even lose to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. I mean, yeah. And even even in this scenario, though, one thing I will say is that if if we do get to see Alabama and Michigan, <laughs> it's going to be fun to see just how much Harbaugh Harbo gets exposed as still not being a very good coach because Saban is going to exploit every flaw <laughs> that they have when they play yeah. each other. Oh, and ultimately, I I had hoped we would have done the same this year. You know, yeah, there are a lot of flaws with this Michigan team, but I I do have to say they brought a lot of heart this year, and we'll see if it if it continues. That's the one risk of winning a rivalry game when you haven't won in a long time is you might lose your juice going into the playoffs. So. Look at what Michigan State, what happened to Michigan State the last time we sent a team that wasn't Ohio State to the playoff. I hope they yeah. I hope they, they do better for the conference than they did. Well, we need them to, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, you know, those rankings aren't going to hold next year. <laughs> uh, the Big Ten this year on paper was looking like the best conference in football we all beat each other crumbled and hopefully you know michigan will prove that we're we're still up there well and you know what i've always said the the only time you can evaluate a conference is in bowl games because you can say the narratives oh they didn't want to be there and all that other stuff like you don't find out until the end of the year when teams are playing their best how do the conferences stack up the sec's zero and three right now so they're not I mean, in, unless they sweep the top half of their conference bowl games, it's going to be tough for me to see. I mean, I think Auburn's about to lose right now to Houston. So, I mean, it's going to be tough for me to say that the SEC is the best conference in football outside mm-hmm. of Alabama if they win it all. I mean, that's what people will hang their hat on. Alabama won it all. It's like, yeah, the rest of your conference sucked, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why they're recruiting so aggressively. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that that's that's brings it to an end. It's unfortunate we're not we're not part of this conversation, but we will be next year and I think we definitely will be. Zach, I'm sure we'll be talking about these games as they happen. Are you are you live streaming or doing anything for for the games or are you just going to be on no, the couch I, watching with your family? I'm just going to watch them with fam and do the pre-game and uh preview and the post-game analysis and then really take 2022 to to get back to YouTube and that kind of content just kind of went podcast only, which has been awesome. I've mean, been really successful and grown, but I need to get to video content, but I'm going to wait till the new year to do that. Nice. Nice, Amazing, man. Well, thank you for having us in this holiday season. We're very grateful for 
for you, Zach, for all of our listeners, for you know the ability to be able to comment on this sport all year. It's been such a blast. For sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. 114 News and Notes. You know, this is a, our year in review episode. This has been a heck of a year. It's it's hard to even remember where 2021 started and 2020 ended because it feels yeah. like one big blur. Yeah, it feels like we're in like, I I can't believe. When did, when did the pandemic like first hit the the quarantines like february 2020 february is when it started to get scary was it 2020 or 2020 and then march 2020 is when it it really like last when the lockdown started is late march okay and we're probably what one year into vaccines now well yeah we're probably about a march year. march of last year is when or february of 20 right it, it was this year they did the vaccine so we're probably about you know i think a, a lot of people have just cleared the six month mark yeah yeah this pandemic has been very very uh a stressful time for everyone both on personal front business front you know uh the challenges are real you know and the challenges of dealing with any adversity is real especially one that is long lasting just to ask someone who has had a debilitating illness such as cancer how challenging the time to recovery can be and all of the challenges within that that happen, you know, as I'm supposed to focusing on who's right, who's wrong. I think it's important for people to start building a mindset of how to handle adversity better. I think that's what you and I talk about a lot in this scenario. A lot of people are arguing about right and wrong, vax, anti-vax versus looking at the situation saying we're dealing with some shit right now. And the shit that we're dealing with can cause a lot of problems um, in a lot of different scenarios in your life. And as opposed to focusing and leaning in on the problems or being angry at one group or another, just focus on how can you maintain the best mental state through situations like this and also be grateful for what we actually do have. We're facing a pandemic. Could you imagine if this pandemic happened in the 1920s? Um, what would have happened to the business world with no no computers, no Zoom technology? Like, it also gives us time to appreciate the advances we've made as a human society to better handle situations like this, stay connected to our families, our loved ones, stay connected to work. There is... So many things, if you don't just pay attention to the negativity around the politics of this illness and this pandemic, that if you actually take a moment and say, hey, thank God this happened now and didn't happen at any other point in our lives. Right. That's one yeah. thing that one thing that I, I've noticed and I'm grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's interesting, too, because it's it's, you know, the pandemic is kind of one factor, but. You know, what's what's the greater ill in society is our mental health and our reaction to the pandemic. That's really where you know most of the problems stem from is the panicking, the media coverage, the arguments, the taking sides, and you know trying to trying to convince like others of of your point of view, trying to you know really just escalate this into 
a bigger thing than it is ultimately. And I think that's that for me was like the big takeaway of this year that I was able to apply in my personal life. Last year, it was like we had the election year. It was already a charged up year for that reason. Yeah. And, um, you know, media was was loud. I think it was the first time we as a population had been exposed to media in its current state in that significant of a way. Um, it was like that all through the Trump presidency. Um, starting in 2015 during the election, it was ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. Um, you know, this year was, for me at least, the first time I was able to take a step back and just look at the noise and just be like, okay, cool, that's noise, but I don't have to partake. I don't have to participate. And I think part of the fear was, well, if I if I don't participate, do I lose my connection to my friends? Do I lose my connection to society? Do I lose my, you know, the impact my business can make if I'm not doing, you know, every single thing that everyone is doing for COVID, like yeah. the metaverse stuff and like NFTs, like all these technologies that, you know, really have, have become a thing because we've been locked in our houses for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, FOMO drives everything. Right. And one of the more interesting aspects of of the pandemic, I can say this, is that if you are an investor um, and you are actively invested in the markets, you've gotten quite a good return overall. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to have done well. But the thing about it is, is the frustrating aspect of it is, is what good is money <laughs> if you can't do anything with it, right? And the only people that probably have benefited has been have been digital companies like Amazon, right? And yeah. grocery stores. There have been obviously beneficiaries of this pandemic, but it also underlines the point that, yes, you know, you could have a, a good financial return if you got into NFTs, you got into crypto, you got into the stock market. But the question is, is that, does that make up for the price um, that you're paying, right? What, whether or not you're you're getting a financial return, if it's impacting how you live your day-to-day -day life in a negative manner, how much does your bank account getting a little bit bigger matter? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's the other side of it too, is that there's been a lot of, you know, we have the labor shortages now, we have kind of a redefined work environment. I think what was also outed is that a lot of people want what you're talking about, V, the freedom to be able to make money on their own terms and, and live their own lifestyle. And you can do that through trading. You can do that now through through a myriad of ways. But um, I felt like the pandemic also exposed that not a lot of us are ready for that kind of freedom. We don't have the responsibility to be able to handle it in a meaningful way. Yeah, specifically discipline, right? This this is a test of your discipline in so many different ways. Uh, early on, it was, are you disciplined enough to wash your hands consistently, um, take care of your home consistently, keep it cleaned and disinfected, control your environment, make sure that you do not go into large groups. These are all things that require a certain level of discipline. Um, and if you've done nothing before that to set up discipline in your life, to have structure, to do things consistently in a specific manner, this pandemic has probably been a lot harder on you than it has been on other people because suddenly you're realizing the value of it. You know, we posted a, a clip on our, our podcast uh, TikTok recently about the importance of discipline, that the people who succeed are those who are disciplined, because if you're not disciplined, you'll become a victim um, to your passions, uh, to that empty time, right? When you have empty time, you start caring about emotions, you start thinking about things um, that a disciplined minded, a disciplined person doesn't, right? That whole idea of don't give your your mind too much time to linger obviously think and, and do things but discipline is the future of success right and i think uh, to your point the problem we're having as a society specifically in america is we are overall very undisciplined culture um, and have become more and more undisciplined as a result of capitalism and technology making our lives significantly easier it's so much more important to make sure you remain disciplined 
despite having kind of those hacks and those shortcuts uh, to make life easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when there were, you know, corporate roles for the majority of Americans or kind of that not not even corporate, but structured job roles where you show up somewhere, someone tells you what to do and then you leave at the end of the time, then it was a very easy way for people to keep their lives together because they didn't have to think at all about how they make money. They just had to show up somewhere, do yep. what they were told, and then they'd, they'd get the bill, the money they need to pay their bills and do whatever the heck else they want. And when that switched and, you know, kind of, I think uh, the ideals around the workplace changed with uh, some of the new ideas around work from home, the freedom of your time, you know, trading time for money versus value for money. Like these concepts have now made it into the mainstream. And, you know, I I would go ahead and say that's for better or for worse at times, because it, it leads to a whole lot of people that want to talk about hey, I am, you know, living my best life. I am in total control of what I do every day. I work from home. But they're finding out very quickly that that's not, you know, it does, that, that doesn't uh, only have upsides to it, making that decision with your life and, and letting go of like the structured environment someone else would have to give you. It just means that the responsibility of imposing structure on your life and creating productivity or value out of your time, it goes on to you. So it actually makes your life a lot more difficult and harder, which is, you know, I think what a lot of people will notice in the next year or so as they as they strive to, you know, make money online and do all of these things. And, you know, I think I want to add at the same time, I see so many people online talking about how much money they they're making during the pandemic. And it's just it's just fraudulent, like the amount of people claiming to make, you know, hundreds of thousands off NFT. Yeah, everybody's rich, right? Yeah. People are not making the kind of money they're saying they're making. And so I think that's the other part of it, too, is like it, it depends on where you are in your life. If you're you know, if you're younger hearing this message versus, you know, 30 plus, I think you would kind of take it two different ways. Managing a portfolio is a very different process than, you know, betting on nfts buying you know images of gorillas online and you know hoping that the market continues to grow and some people are doing well in that but it's it's just a different type of risk profile a different type of way to live and it comes with its own volatility that i think a lot of folks opting for that have not experienced and when they do experience it i don't think many of them are going to last yeah, and and I'll and I'll add two things to your point. One of those things is that that the concept of duty. What responsibilities do you have in life? And I think we've seen this that companies are getting a lot less out of their workers. So if you are an employee of a company and suddenly now you're working from home, you're getting your same paycheck every two weeks that you got before, but now you're discovering these options to invest, right? Whether it's your portfolio, whether it's NFTs, cryptos, whatever you're trading to make additional money. What I think is happening in a lot of times is the 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 priorities are shifting toward those things and away from the work and responsibility. And you have to ask, and this is this is a personal responsibility thing. You have to ask yourself, and have enough of a moral compass to say, am I earning my paycheck? Am I fulfilling my responsibilities to my company? And the truth is, and you and throughout behavioral psychology, you can read this throughout history, it's been historically proven that you can't leave human beings to their to their own devices because it's challenging. It's just our nature. It's not a knock on people, but what are you going to, you are not going to be as efficient if you have no one overseeing you, you're working from home and you have family, suddenly your family's at home too. You have all these alternative investments that everyone's telling you, you need to be a part of. How then are you still helping to build your company and do your job and earn your paycheck and collect your benefits at the same level of efficiency as before. And that's not just, we can't put the onus of that all on workers. It's also the responsibility of companies to be creative in figuring out how can I continue to make my employees be productive, efficient, 
while understanding that we're in a changing world. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's, you know, it's um, it's not that it's impossible to self-manage. It's that you have to be oriented that way to self-manage. Yep. And I think that's that's the reality of the situation is that everything seems easy on the surface. People can make it seem easy. And I think that this whole generation of TikTokers and YouTubers, you know, wanting to help folks make money on their own. I think that's amazing. And I think without those resources, a lot of entrepreneurs wouldn't be able to be as successful as they are now. You know, you can build your own Amazon store now. You can run your own blog. You can run an Instagram page and make a living. You can do a million different things. But I think that the number of people that are oriented to be responsible enough to make a living doing that is maybe one-tenth of the number of people currently trying to do that. And I think that it's just because there's this idealism around it. It's the trending thing, like multiple income streams. That's a trending thing. But nobody talks about the fact that if you have multiple income streams, you've just now exponentially increased your responsibility and accountability. And that is hard. It's hard to manage multiple businesses or multiple initiatives that are cash generating. And it's just, you just can't do it and stay on top of you know your taxes and stay on top of your accounting and stay on top of your personal relationships it's stuff it's hard you know yeah it's stressful it's very stressful and in addition to that there's this understanding in capitalism that ask yourself the question of what money is good money right because you will find you know if all i if all i had to do every day was manage my portfolio Right. And be honest, I think I'm pretty seasoned. I won't I won't ever say that I'm really good or great because I would that would be dis, disregarding the risk profile of being an investor. But if that's all I had to do every day, right, manage my portfolio and watch it go up or down over time, that big doesn't it, for some people, it could be fulfilling, but it can be empty as well. Right. Because if you're not building something or you're not working towards something and you're simply just making bets on other people's success or failure and not betting on yourself. Right. Because in, it, it is a bet on your understanding of the markets, but you are betting on other companies. You're betting on these cryptocurrency founders and owners and technology. You're taking the control out of your own hands and putting it on the external environment. And it's great when things are good, but anybody who's been through a downturn in the economy or a collapse or a correction knows that the feeling on the opposite side of that is really, really not good, especially if you don't have something that you're doing consistently to make money because these are investments. That's what an investment is. It's an investment of capital that you've earned to put toward things to help your money grow. And there's this misconception, especially, and it frustrates me with what crypto and F NFTs have done, a disregard for how difficult it is to actually make money, to make 10% on your money. It's easier to earn a paycheck than it is to make $100 on an investment. It is significantly easier, right? To make 10% annualized returns consistently, you have to be really, really good, you know, yeah. or you have to be someone who's completely passive and uses instruments like ETFs and things that do the work for you. So you have one or two options. You're an active trader and dealing with the stress of that, or you're a passive investor. What the hell are you doing with the rest of your time? Right. And time and money is something that I think people need to understand. They say time is money. It is not money. Time is different than money, right? <laughs> money can't replace time. Yeah. And you have to think through your life and what you're doing and saying, okay, am I trapped in this hamster wheel and this rat race chasing what everyone else is chasing? Or am I actually doing something that fulfills me? There's a percentage of population of people, again, in the crypto world, in the active trading world where this is their passion. This is what they want to do, but everybody can't have the same passion. And the passion for money is short lived, right? A hundred percent agree. I think, I think that it's the number one thing. This is what studies show. The number one thing that drives happiness is progress. 
It's yeah. human progress. And if you're not part of a narrative, you know, it's fun to bet on the horses in the race. If you're not running your own race, life is empty. And yeah. that, that's just the simple fact. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's, that's the challenge that we're facing as a society and what's making every, you realize when you study economics and you study, you know, the macro and micro environments and you realize how interconnected we are and how much potential danger there is in what's happening in society in terms of long term, right? Um, you might be investing by investing in in crypto and creating these new markets of nfts you might be replacing yourself yeah sooner than you think it's all good and well right now while the (laughs) the people at top haven't fully figured it out right but what this technology and this narrative is driving is the lack of need for human beings think about it just even this pandemic and this virus human beings are a danger to each other yeah right uh, and so if you're not fighting to create some value in this marketplace and in this world that we live in you're in danger your family's in danger not saying like physical danger but you're in danger of becoming a dinosaur well and i more than anything you're in danger of being unfulfilled and unhappy which is the worst outcome right and it's like you whatever you do all day is a vote with your time and energy of what society should look like and work like and operate like and yeah to your point v there's a ton of automation but there's a ton of things that only humans can do and it's it's a hard journey for our society to get to the self-realization necessary to be able to you know back to the the original point on that we were making on um finding your role when it's a self-driven role right that's a societal equation you have to understand to your point economics these macro patterns micro patterns you have to understand how business works people's incentives and how money flows for real and not just what it looks like it flows like so you can fit yourself into the equation and you know create some value for for the overall system that everyone's bought into or lead in an inspiring way, which takes much, much longer to see the returns. And so, you know, when you're faced with these two options, I think that the only way to even achieve either result in a self-driven role is a path of self-awareness. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is that our society is driving us forward to develop more Mm self-awareness. And if you go through it quickly you know, if you're able to get through the growth to a certain point, you will be able to reap tremendous reward from this society. But the fear, I think that that I feel not even a fear, the concern I feel is that I know a lot of people and and they grow for sure. But I know a whole lot more people that haven't changed once in the last several years. Mm -hmm. And that is the type of person that is concerning when it gets to these models because when we have increased accountability across society this is the republican democrat argument well the core let's say conservative liberal argument is that if you go too conservative with the society have less rules and give people too much accountability sometimes people can't find a spot to fit into the entirety of society and so that's where you're gonna see a lot of struggle and to your point v ubi might solve basic needs but it does not solve for happiness and it won't reduce things like crime and it won't reduce things like depression. It'll just help depressed people pay their bills and stay depressed. Yep. hundred percent. And you know, the point that you're making is a, is a very important one because, you know, I'll, I'll speak in for my own experience, right. As this pandemic got more and more frustrating, I made the conscious decision to say, I am not going to feed into arguments anymore, right? These arguments, the politics, the media, I don't watch CNN anymore. I don't watch MSNBC. I never really tuned into Fox News anyways. I knew their talking points. I know the Republican talking points. I know I know everything that's going on. And even the, the leaders like, like Elon Musk, who people go to tap into, these people all have an agenda that they're trying to fit you into, right? And 
if you're going to get played and you're going to get manipulated, that's on you. But I will say for myself, I, I still use these platforms. But what I do is I make sure in, in, in working in tandem with you with the podcast that we put out positive content, inspirational content, content that is got a positive, uplifting message versus one that feeds into the war zone that these platforms have become with yeah. all these different narratives. The Republican do not disconnect, take some time and disconnect and evaluate yourself, see what you need to do to make yourself happy. Ask yourself, if I'm on Twitter all day, am I leaving the day happy or am I leaving the day upset over something that maybe I shouldn't be this upset over? Is it impacting how I work? Is it impacting my personal relationships? Am I becoming a less less happy person to be around, right? Do people like being around me as much? Or is it every time that they come around me, they know there's going to be some argument or some, some passionate conversation that leads into these talking points that all these people are pushing. And to be fully woke, the idea of being woke, it's so funny that the, the definition of woke versus actually being woke, what actually being woke is, is understanding yourself the society around you and waking up to the fact of what do I need to do to keep myself balanced, not depressed, yep. not unhappy, not on a hamster wheel. Those are kind of the, those are the things, those are the questions that will solve a lot of these societal problems that we have. And it, it just, again, it's all about accepting too. It's hard to come to the realization that, Hey, I'm, I got, I got tricked by the machine, right? Like most of us will not ever want to be self-aware enough to say, you know what? I got brainwashed too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, you know, I think that's, that's an amazing way to, to kind of wrap, wrap this kind of reflection is let's all just acknowledge that we all got brainwashed, right? Yep. Let's just, let's take a moment and just remember that. And as we go forward, I think, the there's just a couple key things that we have to keep in mind if we want to have happiness success and fulfillment i think it's to, to your point v it's about it's about lifting each other up and staying positive and building a narrative for ourselves that is empowering as opposed to a narrative that is um disempowering and that happens internally you know to your point on twitter to your point on on social media and, and consumption in general of media everything you consume becomes a part of you. So be conscious about what you're consuming. It's yep. every single bit of intentionality you can put into your media diet. You know, I think this is going to be a huge, huge phrase this next year is what's your media diet. I think right now we're going to just go ahead and claim ownership for that phase. You heard it here first, but yep. if you control your diet and what you eat and you're so careful about your health physically, why shouldn't you take that same care with your mental and emotional health? And I think you should. And that's that's what the media and the information you take in, the people you spend your time with, the places you spend your time, what substances you put in your body, all of that contributes to your mental health. And we're in a society that, you know, we've revealed this past year and a half that we're not that healthy mentally. And yeah. we gotta do a better job with it. We're not healthy physically, to be honest, but yeah. we're doing better than we did, you know, 15 years ago when that became a topic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the takeaway from, from this 2020, 21, uh, kind of <laughs> hodgepodge of years is, you know, there's a real opportunity here. And I, and I actually look at things, um, for the people I'm around the environments that I'm around, I have a lot of optimism because I think there's a lot of opportunity by going against the tide and looking and saying, you know what, history kind of there, things are cyclical right and at the end of the day i don't think that i personally am betting on moving against the tide we're, we're working on a company that's that's creating a real product that forces people to to do real activity not digital activity hmm. um the, the the podcast is moving against the tide of you know bickering and arguing and, and focusing on uplifting and I want to see if our bets pay off. It's fun, right? Yeah. 
It's fun. And I think that you can do that in your, in your own life is look at the tide and say, am I just following or is there an opportunity for me to be the leader of my own destiny? Yeah. And I think the, the thing is the bet always pays off. And the question is, you know, how large is it? Like if we measured our success in this podcast by the amount of followers we had, or, you know, the listens we had, we would be doing it for the wrong reasons. And we would be tailoring our content the wrong way. Like we measure it based on depth of conversation, the ability to express ideas that nobody else is expressing that we feel to be true. And I think that goes across the board for everything you and I are involved in V. And I think that that ultimately is freedom is when you have a unique thought that you want to voice to the world that you feel is an important one to voice that lifts everybody up and is a positive thing for others. That's a, that's a pretty damn good reason to do something. And the, the, return is guaranteed there because you just spent your life doing something that matters. It doesn't matter how much money it makes you. Yep. That's a, that's, that's the greatest, greatest way to look at things, right? And don't, don't worry about the results. Focus on the process to bring what you said full circle. You know, this is a process. You have a a limited window of this lifetime, you know, how are you going to execute the process of that lifetime? It's it's completely up to you. That's what's beautiful about it. You have complete control. Don't let anyone make you believe that you don't have control. You only don't have control if you're worried about what's happening outside of your control. Absolutely. And on that note, man, it's been an amazing 2021 V. I'm so grateful. This was my first full year on the podcast. Yes. Yes, I'm grateful. Looking forward to 2022, man. Man, so uh, on that note, pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on up. We don't fly, boys, we get up. So, 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 so,